Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Little Museum of Dublin. So, as you can hear, we're joined by a fantastic audience today. You're all very welcome, and thank you so much for coming. Today's Hourglass event in association with RTE Lifestyle is all about the struggle to juggle, the perennial question that working mothers and dads grapple with daily. Just how do you balance your busy work life alongside your family's needs without anyone missing out? We have some fantastic women here to share their stories with us. RTE's Jackie Hurley, <laughs> model and mum of four, Ali MacDonald, and Suzanne and Jessie from The Well Now Company. And we also have a fantastic musical guest, the wonderful Eleanor McAvoy. Our first guest is a lady who has worked in RT Sport for 12 years and started presenting Sunday Sport in 2009. And in a world that used to be dominated by men, she has made a big impact. And this month, she made a little bit of history when she became the first ever female anchor of the RTE soccer panel during the Russia 2018 World Cup tournament. <laughs> Behind the scenes, she's married to Shane and has two young children, so she knows the struggle is real. Please welcome Jackie Hurley. <laughs> Jackie, it's brilliant to have you here. Thanks, Tara. First of all, can we start with a little bit about your career? So how did you get making some history this summer? Um, well, the, the summer, I guess, I'd always kind of wanted to do more of the TV stuff, so this year, just getting to do the World Cup was... Uh, look, as you say, it's a, it's a unique piece of history, but it was a pretty big milestone for me as well because, you know, there's different things that you want to be involved in and when it's World Cups, Olympics, stuff like that, you're, you're right in the mix of the biggest tournament and the biggest talking point. So uh, it was great. Like, I mean, in 12 years, RTE has changed drastically and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's not such a weird thing that somebody like me is involved in the World Cup. I think that's a great thing, you know, that maybe we are taking steps forward like that. So when this amazing career of yours started, you were single, working hard, climbing the ladder, putting in all those hours and the energy, and it was all going really well. Then you fell in love and married Shane. Does it change things though? I mean, like, you know, for us, we were going out when I was in college, so he knew that this was kind of what I wanted to do. But when we were in the early days of our relationship, I didn't really care about working 20 hour days or whatever, because like, you know yourself, you're just gonna flog yourself because it's what you really, really wanna do. The difference only becomes when, when the kids come along, all of a sudden you're there going, right, okay, you, I have to be gone every Saturday, I have to be gone every Sunday, we need to get out the door, I need to drop them to school, you're gonna pick them up, we're gonna, you know, that's when the juggle becomes very, very real. You still love what you do, and the ambition is always still there, and it still burns, like I wouldn't give it up because I love it, but you just kind of have to change the parameters a little bit. And, and I guess that's for us. It kind of needs as much of a buy-in from Shane as it does from me, I think. Yeah, and what is the hardest part of it all? I mean, you're, you're doing it, you're in the middle of it, but what bit every now and again hits you? The guilt. Definitely the guilt. You know, the, the weekends are, as much as I love them, and live sport is my passion. And I know that sport happens on the weekends. So that was always going to be something that... I knew I'd be giving up my weekends, but I didn't know what it was going to be like because you, you can't know that until you have children. And all of a sudden you're realizing that your kids are on the beach and, and you're, you know, traveling the country to go and do a match. And look, that, that's just the reality. A lot of people face different problems in their careers. For me, the biggest part is the weekends and just being away, missing those, those moments when family time is being created and I'm getting sent pictures from them. That's the stuff that I find hard. But look, it's worth it for me, but that's the hard part. And like, I'm very, very lucky to do what I do, but I'm also extremely lucky to have a fantastic husband who gets that, you know? And he always got that. He was probably, uh, behind my mom and dad, the most supportive person that I ever could have had. And having him there and knowing that he really believed in me, even from the get-go, he was saying, go do this, you can absolutely do this, you know? And like, now my kids, like, they know what I do, you know? Like, Luke sees me on the telly and, you know, he'd hear me on the radio and he he has no idea what it really is, but like the fact that he can see me and he knows that mommy goes to work because the match is on, you know, is look, it's, an, it's a family adjustment, but they are all so supportive of it, you know? Something else as well, you get other things back that uh, maybe some of the rest of us don't have. Yeah, like, 
I mean, I'm around a lot more during the week and stuff like that. So, like, I get to do all the school drop-offs. I get to have dinner with my family during the week. Like, dinner time for us is hugely important, where we all sit around the table at 6 o'clock, and there's no phones, there's no TV. We just sit and chat. And, like, my family would have been big on that as well, and that's something that I'd be slow to give up. And so, look, maybe while I do lose out on, on some things, I do also get to have a huge part in all that. Like, dropping Luke to school every morning is great fun, you know? Like, and being there in the afternoon, afternoons in the midweek when a lot of my friends are at work that's a lot of quality time that I get so it's it's huge the buyback is is, is amazing you know there's a lot of talk as well about the difference between working mums and then the mums who are working or staying at home and then the school gate situation what's your view on that it's very hard because I think women we judge each other without even knowing that we're doing it you know you're at the school gate and you're looking at this lady and you're wondering okay she might rock up in her active wear and you're thinking is she coming from the gym does she stay at home what what does she do you know but she's thinking the same about you and like sometimes I just wish that maybe we didn't we weren't so harsh on each other yeah. you know yeah. you'd like to think that maybe we'd cut each other a bit more slack because it feels like sometimes we're sort of independently doing it and not even realizing you subconsciously you're looking at somebody and going I know nothing about their life yes. you know but the school gate scenario is a great one to just look at the way society is moving that like there's a lot of people who have chosen to stay at home and it works really really well for them and if like more power to them personally I couldn't I couldn't have done that it just wouldn't it wouldn't be me but I, I have some friends who do it and I admire them hugely. But I know that when they go to the school gate, they meet a lot of other mothers who are saying, geez, I'm dying to get back out the door again. Like, you know, so look, it's horses for courses. You yeah, know. and I, I think you're right there about being kinder to each other yeah. and less judging. Another person who you look at as well, who's juggling a lot um, and making it work is your sister. Yeah, like, look, I think I'm busy. And then I go and look at her. She's a pilot and uh, she travels around the world. So she's like on a lot of five day trips at the moment. She's all sort of... East Coast America, a lot of the Africas and all that at the moment. And her and her partner have uh, a little one-year-old daughter and like they have a little Excel spreadsheet up on their, their door, which is just like, I have her today, you have her tomorrow. Like, and it's, it's difficult because like my sister's partner is a policewoman. And so the two of them are basically working jobs that are shift work, but they could be gone for days at a time. And they're both trying to sort a situation where they get quality time with Ashling, their daughter, but also to try and get time together. And that's the hardest part. I even find that with Shane, that I'm kind of saying, okay, I see you're picking up Luke there, but where am I in the diary? You know, <laughs> make sure there's a bit of time for me as well, like, because that's hugely important. So when I watch Trina making it work, I have to say I have a lot of admi admiration for her because uh, it, that's, a, that's a serious juggling act that she has. You admitted you, the odd time might have to sneak something into a diary. Yeah, oh God. I've actually been caught out a few times on that one now, in fairness. He, uh, we have a family diary, which I'd actually highly recommend. It's a great little thing to have because in the calendar, in our phone, I might just throw an event in and say something like this, which I forgot to tell him about. But anyway, listen. <laughs> it happens, it happens. But you might throw an event in the calendar and then, uh, you know, I'll know what he has or he'll know that he needs to pick up Luke on certain days. But also it's good just for organizing life it's a very good one but I know that he snuck a few things in there now as well that I'd be seeing golf with the lads and oh that was in there for months and they're going, no, I'm pretty sure that went in yesterday you know what it needs is a little refresh that says last refresh yesterday you know yeah true um, another thing that we were talking about recently is Serena Williams mm -hmm. and tennis and what was happening in Wimbledon well basically Serena Williams came back after having a baby got to the final of Wimbledon this year she got seeded in Wimbledon even though she hadn't been seeded in the French Open and basically to, to get into a tournament to get seeded it's all based on how often you're playing and clearly if you're having a baby you're not playing tennis so she wasn't being ranked and look I mean I have conflicting thoughts about it because in a way you're looking at Wimbledon and saying look I applaud you for trying to cut her some slack because she's been off having a baby she's the best tennis player in the world and they were trying to give her a break but at the same time you're there going what are we looking for from these female athletes you know because having a baby is a huge thing in a woman's life and you can't expect that everything is just going to go back to normal like I know myself I used to play sport to a reasonably high level I would have played an awful lot but since I had children trying to get back fit trying to get time to get out to do the things I used to do is just not easy and I know it's different for Serena Williams because she's a professional athlete and that's her job
What I'd like for female athletes is that it's not the primary focus, that people say Serena Williams is an amazing tennis player. Wouldn't it be fantastic if she got back to a final and won more majors after having a baby? But it just seems like sometimes the baby is the narrative rather than the person. And I, I kind of wish that maybe we would help ourselves a little bit more with that. Do you see yourself as a bit of an activist? No, I actually don't. And like, it's kind of weird because I always think that the social norms, the way that they're going to be challenged is by us speaking about them. But I would never class myself as an activist. I'd say I'm fairly outspoken is probably the way I would. Yeah. But I, I, I don't like the tag of, you know, because all of a sudden you feel like, oh, it's up to you then, you know. Whereas I kind of feel with something like this, is it's up to all of us. You know, I'm involved in trying to set up a sort of a mentorship in Dublin for, for young girls because I found when I was coming through, there wasn't really an awful lot of that. Whereas I'd really like to help young girls who want to get into journalism or young girls who want to be involved in business around Dublin or whatever. And I kind of thought that maybe the way we could all be activists is that we just help each other. Yeah. I mean, there is a small danger where you, you fall into the whinging brigade and nobody wants that either. You know, I think what we all want is that we make large steps forward, but in the right way, not the shouty kind of a way. And I think if you can help each other, maybe we can all be activists and we won't be scared of titles. No, you know? and also so that this sea of change that mm. we've spoken about that um, is coming through. So what's your view on that? Are we making changes? I think so. I mean, look, I think it's a slow burner. I think it's always going to be. But what I would like to see is that the generation of our children, like, I mean, you know, people in this room, a lot of them have children. And I'd like to think that for boys and girls of the next generation, that they won't be facing the same problems. And, you know, the more we can educate them, the better it's going to be. And I definitely think there are huge strides being made. Like, even since I've been working in RTE, in the 12 years, I've seen drastic changes, not just in RTE, but just across the whole landscape. And that's a, that's a brilliant thing. It really, really is. We still have a long way to go now, mind you, but I definitely think there is a sea change. And I think for our kids, the more we can educate them into doing the same things with the boys, the same things with the girls, and just teach them that that's their norm, that's what's going to change things. Exactly. When you think about it, the previous generation, my, my mum, who's here, is a nurse and was told she had to hang up the uniform after her first child is born. So this is new for us. Yeah. So what do you want to see happening over the next few years? I mean, we're all looking for equality, but what we want is choice in a way as well. Like, And I think for us as women, what we're looking for is really to be in control of our own destiny. And now I look at my mom who worked outside the home, who's a nurse as well, um, and, you know, worked a lot of jobs just to keep us busy. My father had three jobs when we were younger. I mean, I saw both of them as equal, that both of them worked extremely hard. So what I'd like from my kids is that they see the same with us. You know, we'd be laughing at Luke saying, we have to go to work to pay for your crash, you know? And like, he gets that, <laughs> but he knows that both of us are involved in that process. And that's what's hugely important to me. You want to, uh, said, as you mentioned earlier, help other women, younger women coming through. How? We're in the very early stages of trying to set up a mentoring program. Um, I think it's hugely important. I'd like to see more female CEOs. I'd like to see them in the boardroom. Um, yeah. I'm not a fan of quotas, I have to say. I'm, I'm, I really don't. I don't understand why there's a need for them. Mm. But my, my, my own feeling would be that if we could introduce a sort of a legacy where the next generation are so strong that they don't need the leg up, then all of a sudden young women are leading this country and we'll be very proud to have them. Ladies and gentlemen, Jackie Hurley. Now we're going to take a musical break with the wonderful Eleanor McAvoy, who's going to sing a song from her new album, The Thomas More Project. It's called Oft in the Stilly Night. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
coming together that I've seen around me fall like leaves and wintry weather. I feel like one who treads alone, some banquet hall deserted, whose lights have fled, whose garlands dead, and all but she departed. Thus in the stilly night, her slumber's chains hath bound me. Sad memory brings the light of other days around me. Oh, 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 Often the stilly night, her slumber's chains has bound me. Fond memory brings the light of other days around me. Welcome back to the Little Museum of Dublin in St. Stephen's Green, where we're talking about finding the balance when you're a working mum. And we have an amazing live audience here. Ali MacDonald is a very busy lady. She's a model and regularly appears on shows like Today with Moran Dahi and Expose. And she's also a mum of four. She has two teenagers, Alex, he's 16, and Zara, who is 14, both from her relationship with her childhood sweetheart. Next is eight-year-old Harry, whom she had with her ex-fiancé. And lastly, her little daughter, Sienna, who's just two years old. So a model and a single mom, Ali. Home alone with four children. I imagine you've loads of free time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, spent the day yeah, in the beauticians and getting them all the bits done. A little bit more of a serious note. It's a very modern family, a blended family, if you will. How do you make it all work? I get up every morning, put one foot in front of the other, and that's what I do. Like, it's busy. It's from the moment I wake up in the morning, it's go, 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 until literally, till I fall into bed. Like, I go to sleep at night say, at the same time as Sienna. Crazy. Full on. Yeah. Organisation, is that your key? Yes. I could <laughs> pretend and say, yeah, it is. No, it's, it's chaotic. Now, it is chaotic. It's, it's a mad house. And it's actually a halfway house because half my family are in and out as well all the time. And it's just fun. Busy and yeah, fun. Busy you're and very fun. laid back. Yeah, well, I try to be. Mm -hmm. now, I have my moments, but I try to be. Now, most mums, they have stress peaks just getting the kids off to school, but adding in a bouncy blow-dry, full face of makeup at 5am, that would put most of us completely over the edge. But when you have a job like you do, how do you do it? How do you keep all those balls there? Maybe give us an example of when you're on Ireland AM. Oh, I wake up probably about 5am, get into the shower, get the hair done, the makeup done, then wake the kids up depending on the client, I'd ask them, could I be? Because the call time would be 7.30. And then I'd say, is it okay if I'm 15 minutes late because the creche doesn't open till half seven? And then my son, Alex, will bring Harry to school in a taxi and then go on up to school himself. Um, my aunt would bring my daughter, Sarah, to school. I'll get the baby, fly up to TV3, and yeah. And that's, by the, then you get in and then you have to look, as you do now, beautiful, fresh, Head clear, ready for the job. How do you do that part? Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of coffee. Okay. But, you know, tell us about Harry. Two years ago, you decided, he's eight now, and two yeah. years ago, you decided to have him assessed for autism. Yeah. And what did you observe before that? What were the little things that made you go, I need to do this? There was no, like, Harry reached all his milestones. So there was no, I, I wasn't concerned until maybe when a little bit when he was in Montessori, that he wasn't learning like the rest of the kids were learning. And then we, he went into, started school, and you know, I was called down every week over something he had done or his behavior. So then that following summer, we all went away on a big family holiday. We went to Kerry. Harry's behavior was just, it was just off the wall. And what, what kind of little thing? It was just, you know, there was, there was a couple of kids that were bullies there and he'd get himself into such a state that he'd vomit from anxiety, um, temper tantrums, uh, that I couldn't actually get him, I couldn't bring him back from them. I think my family were thinking it for a while and as a mother you're kind of like living in hope that, oh no, look, you know, he might grow out of this or, you know, it might be, you know, something else. I thought it might have been the breakup with myself and his dad that could have been affecting him. And it was my sister that said to me, look, I think you need to get him assessed. 
So, and I was kind of in my own head going, yeah, I'm kind of thinking the same thing, but like, what do I do? I had no clue about what to do. So, and you know, my sister was amazing for advice because she runs a crash. So she was like, look, I think it starts with you go to your GP, you start there. And depending on what the GP writes on the letter, because um, he was school going age, he was um, referred on to the Lucina Clinic in Rakar. Mm -hmm. um, and whatever she wrote on that letter, I don't know what it was, but Harry was seen to very, very quickly. So she helped you. Yeah. And there was a lot going on for you the day of the assessment. Well, the day of his di I got his diagnosis with Lucina, um, I had just given birth to Sienna three days before that. And um, yeah, so we went in and yeah, it was, was just heartbreaking. Of course it was. Yeah. You had, Sienna was there at what, just a couple of days old. Yeah. And I know it's upsetting. You went in and you're trying to sit there and you're finding out the news about him. What was going through your head? I was kind of like going, oh God, are they wrong? Are they wrong? And Harry's dad is a doctor. And he, you know, obviously, like, we're both sitting there in shock. So he was kind of asking all the questions. And I was just sitting there, you know, with a million things going, I just want to see Harry. I yeah. just want to see Harry. And walked outside. I mean, bawling, crying. And walked outside. So Mark, and we weren't together. He's dealing with his own, his own hurt. I'm standing there after giving birth three days beforehand with a brand new baby in a car seat, hegging, crying. And then just, he kind of just, he walked off because, you know, he was like, I'm going to go collect Harry now. And he walked off. And I stood there for a few minutes and I went home and I bawled for a week. And what got you through? Well, after crying for a week, you just, what you have to do then is just pick yourself back up, put your lipstick on and start Googling. Because yeah. <laughs> I had no... Yeah. No yeah. <laughs> so I had to learn. And I had to go, right. And then as I started researching autism more, I started understanding that, you know, Harry doesn't have classical autism, whatever that is, right? He doesn't. So he's very verbal, right? Yeah. Very, very verbal. He's very quirky. He likes girls' things, only yeah. girls' things. Um, and, you know, and, and learning about that, knowing that, yes, it's, it's more Asperger's, which isn't a word being used anymore. Yeah. It's all the autism spectrum, which I think is a bit silly. I just think that's, that's, that was a silly thing in my book. That's my personal opinion. Because I know everyone is so different, but giving a child with clearly that they have Asperger's, that diagnosis instantly, you know, puts, a, a, it's a, a big label to give somebody. It's a, there's I mean? a big spectrum. It's, it's a big spectrum, spectrum yeah. disorder, which is huge. ASD, yeah, it's massive. And it, but the thing about it is every child is so different. Mm -hmm. Every child that I've met with autism is so different amazing amazing people but so different in every way and harry's a unique very unique child tell us about harry tell us about his favorite toys he was about a year and a half picked it up in the crash and it was a naked red-headed barbie doll probably got in the pound shop or something like that he called it nudie so he went around with nudie he had nudie like going around nudie was his best friend for about a year until he decided then he wanted to be a princess so he goes around, he wanted to go around in princess dresses, go to school in princess dresses, go to crash and everyone just loves Harry for who he is. How about school? He, how does he get on with the other kids in school? He's all right. See, Harry, Harry is really dramatic. I mean, my son said, Alex is 16, he said, Mom, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm not sure about this bloody autism thing now at all. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I just think he's a big queen. <laughs> like, That's exactly what he is. He's a, he is, he's a big queen. And, he's, and he will gladly sit there, he'd go, yeah, girlfriend. <laughs> oh, I am. But right. what about the services in school? I know on a slightly serious side, how are they supporting him? Well, re recently I moved, school, uh, I moved Harry to a new school. Now it's a smaller school, gorgeous little school. A beautiful, gorgeous uh, principal who's so sweet, so amazing to all the kids. When Harry started there, yeah, we were waiting for his, his access to an SNA and he needs a special needs assistant, mm -hmm. he really does. Just before school ended there, uh, the principal came running up to me and she goes, Ali, they're after cutting my SNAs. And I, I'm just like, Harry also has a diagnosis of ADHD and severe dyslexia. So, you know, he's got a cocktail of things going on there that he really needs help. He needs to have time out in class to stop him. I mean, God love us per teacher. When she's trying to teach class, Harry's trying to do a dance routine. Yeah. And, you know, and there's absolutely nothing I can do. The resources just are not there. 
they're not there for kids. And especially kids like Harry, who are too high functioning for a unit, yet are not doing that well in mainstream school. It's those kids that are falling between the cracks. And what do you need? What needs to happen? We need more resources. We need more units attached to the schools so they can go between. So when Harry needs to go and learn and do all his resource hours and stuff like that, the unit is there to teach Harry the way he, he's, he needs to be taught, which is visually. And that's how he learns. You know, so Harry can learn a dance routine, I mean, within an hour from any music video. Like, in that way, like, he's incredible. That's how he learns. And he, he's eight and he still can't read. You're working with Autism Ireland. They've what been incredible. Incredible. What progress is being made? Autism Ireland, great behavioural analyst, um, Shannon, who is just fantastic. She's worked with Harry. She works with the schools to teach them the tools uh, to help these kids, you know, in the school environment. I mean, a lot of teachers are amazing. A lot of teachers are not very understanding. And that's when Autism Ireland come in and help. And, you know, when you're dealing with a parent and, and communication is broken down between parent and school, this is when these guys are incredible. Because you're dealing with people's kids and people are very emotional when it comes to that. And then when the likes of Niall from Autism Ireland comes in, he knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly how to deal with the situation. What is your advice to other mums, let's say, of children playing with Harry? Well, Harry, as we know, when he goes out to the green, you know, the weird kid and, you know, obviously because he's probably going out with, you know, full face of makeup and, <laughs> and uh, a big pink jumper. But, you know, he's the weird kid. Um, you know, just try and teach your kids to be kind. You know, there is, there is weird kids. I mean, I was a weird kid. I still am a bit of a weirdo. But, like, just be kind to other kids. You know, and that's why, you know, I try and instill that in my kids. I think I have, because my, my older two have great empathy for everybody. Do you know something that I loved when you were telling me about Harry is at eight, he has a confidence yeah. and a knowledge about himself that I certainly didn't have at that age. Yeah. He, he showed it recently at a Yes, event. he did. He begged me and begged me and begged me, could we go to Gay Pride? Um, and I said, oh, yes. Yeah. So I dragged my sister along. And uh, as we got off the bus, Right, and we could see everyone just kind of standing along the road. And he was dragging me through the crowd, going, Mom, you have to march at me, you have to march at me. And I, I looked at my sister Emma and I went, Come on, so <laughs> let's do this. And when he went out into the crowd, he held up a sign saying, I'm proud to be me. <laughs> and I was bawling my eyes. I had to put my sunglasses on, and the tears were dripping off my chin as I was walking down with them. And it was the most amazing moment that I've said, Harry, we're going to make a big deal out of this every year for you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Ali, I know there's another worry that you have as a yeah, mom. This will probably really make me ball. Um, my two-year-old Sienna still at the moment. Um, now I'm fingers crossed. It's just a bit of a developmental delay, but she's non-verbal. She's shown a few signs that you know, walking around on her tippy toes and stimming and stuff like that. That you know, just has me concerned. I pray to God that I am wrong, but you know, now I'm I'm starting to go down the road of diagnosis again and I contacted Samantha from Autism Ireland about it and you know getting some advice and she to have that support there you know I'm not doing I'm, I'm going into this a bit more with my eyes wide open and whilst you're doing that you have parameters life rules yes what are they well it's me time it's very important so I have my once a month with the girls that I go out and go absolutely mad <laughs> um, I go to a fantastic gym I go there three or four times a week and that literally for my energy my mental health exercise is just it's key it really is rules for the kids as well yes. that, tell us a bit about that well when we eat dinner in the evening uh, no phones allowed at the table Good. Um, and we eat together our family time is our family time you know, and it's very important that we have that together. And then once a month now, myself, Alex and Sarah, three of us are going to go out and have a day now next week. It's lovely, isn't yeah. it? I think that's really good advice for all of us. Try to get time with each of the yeah, children. Maybe, yeah, once a month, just take a bit of time to skip, make that child feel special. Yeah. You know, and because Harry consumes a lot of my time. So, you know, I need to be, I need to be aware of that, that I have to give them some time as well. I mean, with the four children, the three dads, the work which you love and need to do, as you yeah. said. How big is your planner? Though I actually don't even have a wall planner. My wall planner is <laughs> up in my brain. <laughs> yeah. So that's what I just have to just, I take it every day as it comes. 
I couldn't do it any other way because things change so fast in my life, and especially the job that I do. I might get a, a notice for a job the day before. We're, t we're just too chaotic, but our, our chaos is working for us. Ali McDonald, you are absolutely an inspiration and you're an amazing woman. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We're here in the Little Museum of Dublin. We're going to be back with you after this short commercial break. Don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. We're here in the Little Museum of Dublin. And on today's Hourglass event, we're talking about the struggle to juggle and just how to get that work-life balance right when you're a working mum. Well, our next guests are here to give us some tips, some take-homes and ideas to make life easier and coping better when the going gets tough, as it does. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Suzanne and Jessie from the WellNow Company. <laughs> Suzanne, if we can start with you, just tell us a little bit about how you came to found the WellNow Company with Jessie. Well, if I go back a few years, um, in my early 20s, I was diagnosed with IBS. IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome, exactly. At the time, my GP said my symptoms had nothing to do with what I was eating, which I found kind of surprising, to say the least. But even if I had had the kind of cop on at the time to keep a food diary and really try and relate it back, but I was being told it's nothing to do with food, so I didn't. But years later, um, I went to a nutritional therapist, and that had a hugely positive impact on my health, the changes she suggested. And that just got me thinking about nutrition in such a positive light, I suppose. And at the time, I worked in TV and film production and then had my own production company. So it was after I had actually my second son that I decided he was two months old and I signed up to go back to college. Yeah. It was just like, I, something has to give. It was the struggle to juggle was more than real. And yeah. it was like I wanted to follow something that I was passionate about and also feel like I was giving back to people and helping people. When Jessie, I'll let her finish. Yeah, you, say <laughs> so what Jessie, you your, your yeah. story is linked and separate. Yeah, similar in ways. I worked in advertising for over ten years between Dublin and London, and loved it. Really enjoyed the career. I got loads from it, um, but I also had a real interest in nutrition. And it was really after I had my first baby that the struggle to juggle became very real at that point for me. And I decided to have a career change and follow my passion to become a nutrition, health and wellness coach. And I suppose that's where we then linked in with each other and, and formed the, the WellNow company. There are, it looks like and sounds like there are two of you here, but actually, Jesse, there are three of you I'm talking to now. <laughs> Do you want to explain that? Yeah. <laughs> Almost. I'm, I'm getting a few <laughs> kicks in the ribs as we're talking. Um, but yeah, so I'm due my second baby in three weeks. And you look amazing, doesn't she, <laughs> Jesse? <laughs> And there is a special connection, obviously, as sisters. So you decided to form the WellNow Company. Yeah, so we started it earlier this year. And um, we have a number of products and services that we do. And our first one is an online course called Empowered Pregnancy. And it was really drawing on our own experiences of having children and being pregnant. And with our knowledge, our kind of relatively newfound knowledge, trying to consolidate it all into one place um, and having it online so it's accessible for people to do anytime, anywhere. What are your four key points that you want to make sure that we keep in our head? And I love a list. I love a now list <laughs> to keep in our head and go home with today. Well, I suppose the first tip that we would have is planning around planning and prepping. We love a good plan. <laughs> and especially when you're trying to live a healthier life, it's really the cornerstone of that. Um, and I know listening to both Jackie and Ali, they seem to have planning nailed and down to a fine art in their own ways. And that's brilliant. Absolutely. I think for us, planning falls into sort of two categories. There's the broader, bigger life plans that are really important for us all to identify and set. And then there's the, the smaller sort of week to week plans to, that feed into our bigger picture goals. A real common problem that clients of ours would have is sticking to a healthy eating plan week to week. Weeks are busy. You know, by the time Thursday rolls around, usually it's like it's grabbing something quick and quite often not that healthy. So meal planning is a really important way to prevent that. And lots of people say that, but I love how simple you make it. We say set 20 minutes aside during the week or a lot of people find the weekend a good time to do that. So 
set 20 minutes aside to look at your week and what you're going to plan, what you're going to eat across the week. Some people find it's easier to start with looking at one meal instead of trying to plan out all 21 meals for the week. Start maybe with dinner or, 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 or your lunch and map out what you're going to have each of, the, each of the days. A good tip as well is to do that just before you do your shop. We both love online shopping because it means you have your plan written out or typed up or however you want to do it. And then you just go straight online and do your shop. Some people love the ritual of also going to a supermarket and that's brilliant too. But I think linking those two together is, is really key. Big time. And do, do people do online shopping? Just out of interest? Yeah, so some of the hands have gone up in the room there. So it can be a big time saver as it's, well. It's a huge time saver. And actually the meal planning is a, is a time and cost saver because the, the wastage is reduced. And it also stops the uh, dashboard dining totally. that some of us might do in the car <laughs> when you're collecting or dropping children in the form of a bar and telling yourself it's a meal. <laughs> so planning and prepping, and they're two different things really, aren't they? But you com- combine them there, 20 minutes, set for the, down. For the, meal, for the meal plan, exactly. Yeah. And then prepping, I suppose, is, is, a, is linked. Prep, for us, one of the big best ways to prep is by batch cooking. Yes. So, uh, you know, you can batch cook and have then meals portioned off either for your freezer or make enough double quantities so you have enough for lunch the next day or a dinner later in the week. But it just takes the stress out of having to make every meal from scratch. You've got a few in the bag or in the freezer already. Brilliant. Really good. Um, Are you fans of the the one-pot wonders, the slow cooker? I just did one this morning, actually. Uh, During breakfast, I I put the slow cooker on and left it because I knew I'd be leaving early. And don't do it all the time, mind you, so you just got me on a good day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hearing a bit of mumbling. I think other people uh, are definitely agreeing with you on that one. Time out, Suzanne. Time out's so important. And I think for all parents, especially when they're newer parents, that kind of loss of identity of, of you as an individual is very kind of pertinent. So taking time out and reconnecting with yourself but also reconnecting with partner, friends, family, and in whatever way you enjoy. So whether it's going for a walk or going to the gym and working out or going for a drink, whatever floats your boat. That you don't lose your own identity when you become a mum. I mean, as Jackie said earlier on, that she knew what she wanted to do in college and uh, when she met Shane and they supported each other, but you need to reconnect with that part of you. That was a brilliant point Jackie made, actually, yeah. because I think some people lose that passion. I think, Jackie, you're lucky and unique that you've got such a strong passion, and lots of people do, but people who don't really or kind of have cruised their way through and did well and then have a child, their whole kind of existence is shook quite dramatically so taking time out and that's how career changes come about quite a lot I think because you kind of re-look at yourself and where you're going and reset your path so even your wardrobe is a bit of a, is all over the place you have your <laughs> pre-baby's wardrobe you have your you have your as Jesse points to her beautiful maternity dress long sleeve though in yeah. 27 degrees yeah well, actually that's true sorry yeah, it's really hot in here and you're wearing long fitted dress but yeah so we look at our pre-baby wardrobe then you have the baby wardrobe then you have the, the pregnancy wardrobe and afterwards then it's just such a mishmash and that kind of reflects a bit of life doesn't it yeah totally does yeah Yeah. so um support jesse so as you get ready to go for uh, baby number two yes uh, support yeah and and i suppose that follows on from taking time out but it's broader than that i think in order for you to take time out and and get back to your own identity you do need the help of others and before you have a baby and people are having babies later now than they were you know 30 40 years ago A lot of women have been independent for years and really in control of their own lives. So asking for support and help is quite alien. Why do we have a problem asking for help, some of us? I think we see it as a weakness quite often, which it totally isn't. And I think actually a lot of people really like to be asked for help. It's almost an honour to be asked. So, um, you know, whether that support comes from a partner or parents or children if they're if they're old enough and can help I know Ali kind of touched on that that some of the older kids help out with school drop-offs and when needed and things like that so I think that's brilliant you know everyone's in it together and you know we were talking on the way in and that 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 phrase that it takes a village to raise a family yes Nelson Mandela I love that line Yeah, yeah yeah and I think that's another thing as well is we're also asking for support for from each other as parents, working parents, stay-at-home parents. Let's just help each other. Exactly. Do what it is that we want to do and do it best. And then our children can grow up seeing that that's the natural way. 
And sometimes having a, a clear plan for yourself makes it easier because you've got the goal that you want to achieve. So therefore, asking your mum or your neighbour to look after the kids for an hour while you go and work out so that you can stay a size you want to be for whatever reason, then they're bought into it. So it's mm -hmm. actually bringing everybody into your goal and it becomes more of a team effort. Big time. Yeah. So another point that you talk about is about motivation. You just got to that when you talked about the gym. How important is motivation? I mean, we can all relate to motivating ourselves, say, to a short-term goal where it's like you're going to an occasion and you want to fit into a dress. But if you look deeper at why that is or why you want to achieve any of your goals, you're starting to tap into your intrinsic motivation, what motivates me to do anything. And you're far more likely to stay on track with that motivation in place than when once the occasion passes, you start eating your Big Macs again. <laughs> so it's kind of... It's tapping into what, what you want and why you want it. How far ahead should we plan, ideally? I well, I, don't, I think there's different types of plans. And I think you've kind of a lifelong plan for kind of your older years. I think six months, 12 months, a year, five years. I think it's, yeah, I think it's good to have that sort of longevity plan. But if you don't have the shorter term plans, like the six, 12 months, it's very easy to fob things off and go, oh yeah, sure, I'll get fit when I'm whatever age. You know? yeah. But actually the best time to start or the best time to make positive changes is now. Yeah, I, I think as well, another message that you give out a lot is to just be kind to ourselves as well. Sometimes yeah. we're really hard. I have to be this size. I have to be this type of mom. I have to be this type of partner. I have to achieve this in, in the gym and the, all, you know, all these things. Yeah. Your message is about being kind. Yeah, I mean, I think Jackie touched on earlier the, the judgment at the school gates, and I think that's very true, but I think also we're the worst critics of ourselves, and I think sometimes the judgment of other people comes from that insecurity about ourselves, so it is, it is about cutting ourselves a bit of slack as well. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really important point. What do you do, I've kind of wondered this, with all the birthday parties, let's say the kids, anyone listening as parents, we, the kids get invited to all sorts of things. And in your home, you might only give them homemade energy balls as a treat. I don't know why I love <laughs> And then they go to a birthday party and they come home and you're peeling them off the ceiling and they're saying, I had Coke! <laughs> and you're going, oh, great, yeah, it's great. How do we do birthday parties, lads? Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, we do have treats in our yeah. house that are beyond homemade fireballs, but we do have them as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I think all the grandparents think that they don't get anything other than homemade fireballs, so they give them Skittles and jelly tarts. Yes, and I'm looking at you, Mum. <laughs> she sends me back up the M50 with a little bag of treats, and I wonder why half an hour later there's squeals in the back of the car <laughs> just when we've reached home. Thanks. Um, so, so it's balance. You, yeah. It's totally what, balance. What, what is the balance? Well, I think the balance is allowing them to try things if they want to try them and then telling them why you think they're bad and then kind of giving them the choice whether to have it again. That's good. So Does it's that work? Manipulation. <laughs> Depends on the child, I think. But I think yeah. also not, not every day. Not you know, every day. Like, I think treats are fine when they're occasional. Yes. I, I, do you know what, actually? I was laughing there, but you're spot on. I, I took the kids into uh, McDonald's. Other fast food places uh, are available. Um, and <laughs> when they were at the top of the queue, AJ, who's now eight, but he was five, and he told them at the top of the queue, he said, this is really unhealthy, but it's a treat. I would like... <laughs> well briefed. Yeah. And I was Great. like, yay. <laughs> Well, I try and reframe what a treat is because yes. if they think good point. something a like point. a fast food joint yeah. is, is a treat, it's like, well, no, that's actually awful for you. It's a break from <laughs> yes. eating healthy food. But that one hasn't that's gone really in That's really good wording. I'm often looking for the other word instead of treat. Yeah. So what is it? <laughs> <laughs> this is really harmful, but you've earned it. <laughs> Yeah, a little break from the norm. A little break from the norm. There yeah. we go. That's it. Yeah. So listen, we're going to have your tips up on rt.e forward slash lifestyle. So we're going to have all your recipes up there as well as the advice that you've shared with us today because really we do need it. Time out, support, motivation. And planning and prepping. There you go. Planning and prepping. Thank you so much, Suzanne and Jessie from the Well Now Company. We're going to be back with you after this short commercial break. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're here in the Little Museum of Dublin with a live audience. 
Eleanor McAvoy, you're standing there, ready to go. We heard earlier on a beautiful song from the Thomas More Project, your brand new album. But Eleanor, if we can have a couple of words. You, you started your career as a session musician and then made your name with the title track of the iconic Irish album, The Woman's Heart, which sold over 750,000 copies and remains on Ireland's biggest selling albums of all time. <laughs> I know you've just launched as well the latest single from the album, The Thomas More Project. So tell us a little bit more about it. Well, Thomas More was a singer-songwriter from Dublin, uh, a bit like myself, uh, only he was in the uh, 17 and 1800s. We all know his stuff probably from school yeah. and from your drunk aunt singing it in a pub, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. No disrespect to any of your aunts, I'm sure they're lovely. <laughs> but I, I hate the arrangements that are done of some of the old songs, but actually the songs were gorgeous. Mm. And I remember years ago wanting to do them and thinking, well, they're really not cool and they're not very hip. And then uh, recently, I just said shag it. Um, I, I really like them, and I think that if I do them in my own voice and my own, um, in, in, you know, for the 21st century, that's that's really what I've done with the album. Now, before you sing, the music industry. It's notorious mm. for the long hours. It's notorious for the travelling. And you have a 16-year-old daughter. I do, yeah. It's a puzzle, you know. I'm, I'm funny how, I don't know, I, I seem to feel guilty all the time. <laughs> I mean, I was sitting down at the end there and I was listening to you talking about the, the, you giving your kids the energy balls, the homemade energy balls. Let me tell you, my child has never had homemade energy balls. <laughs> and again, I'm feeling inadequate. <laughs> because I just seem to have muddled through my whole life and the poor child has been handed over in you know motorway service stations and airports. On every continent of the world, I'm not kidding, that I've handed her over. to. You know, she could pack a bag herself at seven minutes flat, you know, when she was about six. Um, I think one of the biggest guilt moments I had was when she was talking about cell phones. And I was saying, well, darling, in my day, we didn't have cell phones. And she was a little tot at this point. She goes, mommy, you didn't have cell phones. And I said, no. And she goes, how did you talk to your mommy and daddy? And I went, oh, guilt, guilt, guilt. Um, but you know, I'm on the road, he's on the road, we just don't go on the road together. So we, we'd kind of, you know, when you were talking about the Excel spreadsheets, I was like, oh my God, that's totally me. Except I'm not advanced enough to have the Excel spreadsheet, the diaries open. And, you know, I'd be in Chicago or, you know, Canberra or a completely different time zone. And I used to do stick drawings every day in my diary to kind of put the school and the particular friend that was collecting that day. But, you know, you muddled through. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'd love to say that I never dropped the ball. I did drop mm -hmm. the ball occasionally. She was, and, you know, she was left at the school guys one day. Um, I relied very much on my friends, my wonderful, wonderful friends uh, who were at the school gates and also my partner, my wonderful partner who was amazing and he, I couldn't have done it without him. So I was very lucky and she so far has turned out okay. <laughs> You've a great way though that you switch from your role from mom into musician? Well, I don't know if it's a good thing really. I think that we're kind of under pressure now um, with work. We have to work as if we don't have children. We have to pretend and work. Oh, we don't like to have children. No, 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 that's not a text from the child. Oh, no, <laughs> that, that was about something that happened, you know, and actually it is a text about somebody not collecting the child. But you pretend it's not because you want to be seen to be really professional. And then when you're a mum, you're trying to pretend you don't have a job. You know, so you're going, oh, no, darling, that's, that, that's not work. No, 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 that was about, that was about your, your play date, you know, that I have to bring you to later, you know. And, of course, it's about work. So I think it's sad that you have to pretend you don't have a job when you're a mum and that, that there's that much pressure on us. And I, I loved the way, you know, you were talking, Jackie, about just being a bit kinder to each other. Mm. And I think that's so important because we're all struggling here. Certainly I am, and we're all muddling through a bit. And I think kindness is very important. Thank you so much, Annie. Thank you. Right, so you're going to give us another tune, but before you do, can I please thank our wonderful guests today, Jackie Hurley, <laughs> Ali McDonnell, and the Well Now Company, Suzanne and Jesse. Thank you also to the wonderful team here at the Little Museum. And the wonderful Eleanor McAvoy. Given that there's a lot of oestrogen in the room, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> My heart is low. 
Thank you. 